Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. On the very immediate horizon, there is a movie coming out that football history fans have been waiting for for a long time. It's called Triangle Park. It's about the NFL APFA's first football game, and associate producer Scott Ferguson-Green joins us to tell us all about the movie and where you can watch it. Coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And we really have some great news to announce here in the very near future. We've been talking about it and hearing some rumors here and there and seeing some stuff on social media. But a movie about the NFL's first game, actually the APFA's first game, uh, they became the NFL two years later, is going to be coming out. And we have the associate producer a friend of ours, Scott Ferguson Green. The movie is called Triangle Park. Scott, welcome back to the Pig Pen. Thank you, Darren. Thank you for having me. You started telling me about this probably over a year ago that uh, you had, and some of our other friends were on site for some shootings of some clips of this great movie. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how the movie came about or your involvement in it? And, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about what the movie's about. When I had actually traveled to Ohio, uh, I had, was um, going to the Professional Football Resources Association Convention in Canton, Ohio. But I have a great-grand-aunt who was my great-grandfather's younger sister, and she moved from Virginia to uh, Dayton, Ohio in the 1870s. She ended up having with her husband, 16 children, wow. 27 grandchildren, 55 great-grandchildren, and 21 great-great-grandchildren when she passed away at age 97. And I found her life fascinating that this woman um, in the Dayton area um, actually ran a farm until she was 91 years old. Jeez. So <laughs> when I was in Dayton, you know, visiting some of my relatives and actually learning a little bit more about my great grand aunt, um, Sally, I found out about this movie that was being produced and it was called Triangle Park. And so while I was in Dayton, I actually visited the actual Triangle Park and I visited the actual site of the very first NFL football game, then called the American Professional Football Association at Dayton, Ohio, Triangle Park that took place on October 3rd, 1920. 
And I found that fascinating that that was the place where the first game took place. Because Dayton is a small city. Back when my great-grand-aunt lived there, it was not populated that much at all. And yet this is when... I, I think she created the population. They're having that many children and grandchildren. Holy cow. <laughs> I'm sure. But um, also, too, when I found out that this movie was actually being produced, that it was at the time just through pre-production and they started production, I wanted to be a part of it because coming from where I come from, just outside of Philadelphia. I lived in a country town of Phoenixville that basically is right next door to Valley Forge. So history mattered to me and football is my passion. So you combine the two, I had to be part of this movie. So I was able to petition to see if I could become involved and I ended up being the associate producer. Now for the listeners out there, I don't want to... Uh, mislead anyone associate producer doesn't have a whole lot of the heavy lifting that they do but they do have an impact on the budget they sometimes have a say on the budget and you know it does give you a piece of the project so um but i wanted to be a part of this because i knew that this was something special and so the executive producer uh, and director, Alan Farst, he actually created this story that was based on this true game that took place over seven years ago. And it became a real passion for him. He is a Dayton native. And so he wanted to actually be able to tell this story. And the only interruption, of course, was the pandemic. And so during the pandemic, he had to cease production and put it on hold until it was safe again to be able to resume production. And he did that. Um, he resumed production on October of 2022. They shot, being a docudrama, they would shoot the reenactment scenes of the actual game and all the different things that went about in and around the game because of the fact that NFL films neither had photos or they had any film of that first game. So basically, Alan had to do a reenactments to be able to get people to have a sense of what it was like. And they shot that in Dayton, Ohio. They also went on location in Canton, Ohio, uh, mainly in and around Benders, um, which that's where the original owners first got yeah. together to be able to have regular meetings. And then also, too, they shot some of it in New Jersey because that was where NFL Films is located. And uh, they got some talent from NFL Films to help out with this this particular docudrama. So, um Alan did a wonderful job to be able to get people to participate in the movie because he did the reenactments. He was able to get Michelle Tafoya to be able to do the narration for the movie. And some of the stars that he got to 
interview so that they can comment on the story includes Chris Collingsworth, Eric Dickerson, Joe Buck, um, John Paxton, the actor, because he was born in Dayton, Ohio, Kirk Herbstreet, Sean McVeigh, uh, Larry Fitzgerald, Troy Aikman, Joe Theismann, Susie Kolber, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Terry McCauley, who is an NFL referee, Tony Dungy, and Los Angeles Rams wide receiver Cooper Cup. These are some of the people that actually are able to help tell the story in commentary. And so um, I think people will really be interested in the telling of the story because it's not only a story of the very first game that took place in between the Dayton Triangles and the Columbus Panhandles, but it also tells the story of the birth of the what we know now this phenomenon called the National Football League and how the owners really and truly had to find a way to be able to make this work. Because remember back then, college football was king and baseball was the most popular sport in America. Now this was coming right off of the Black Sox scandal and so that you had fans staying away from ballparks because they couldn't trust whether the game was on the up and up. You had those skeptics. And so pro football was not looked upon at that particular time in 1920 as something that was respectable. But you have to give credit to the owners to try to get this business off the ground. From where I come from in the little town of Phoenixville, we had the Union Club of Phoenixville Big Red Independent Pro Football Team. But all those towns that had independent pro football teams would just schedule games whenever they could. You had players that basically, because pro football was not respectable, sometimes would do the aliases um, so that they would hide the fact that they were playing pro football. And so the NFL owners wanted a little bit more organization where you had games that could be scheduled that would count in standings and be able to declare a champion. And the monumental task of being able to try to start a business that was not looked upon as respectable, that was not looked upon as even having the remote possibility of being a success, you have to give credit to those original owners. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, something I, I want to make sure that uh, people understand, because, well, this is my understanding, you correct me if I'm wrong. I know from a lot of our, our friends that are in the, the Professional Football Research Association, I think uh, the, the gentleman that was running this or somebody invited a lot of them, including yourself, to be on site during these shootings for a accuracy and historic accuracy purposes. Is that, is that true? Yes, because... Whenever you do a timepiece in any, um, whether it be a docudrama or a narrative, you don't want the audience to point out mistakes because that can be a distraction. So basically, the executive producer, director, Alan, had to really come up where there is accuracy as far as the style of clothes, the environment. The He even got cars that were part of the um, docudrama when he did the reenactments that were 1920 cars and um, before. 
so that they'd be accurate. Because there are folks that can actually pick out, you know, the models of cars or can pick out that, oh, that was not the style back then. And you don't want people to actually be able to point the mistakes because that distracts from the story. Yeah, you don't want Joe Carr drinking out of a Starbucks uh, class or something. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. And so I, they did a fabulous job. Alan and his team did a fabulous job to try to be as accurate as they possibly can uh, on this docudrama when they did the reenactments because it it really helps lend to be able to tell an accurate story based on true events. Yeah, that that is definitely something uh, for for folks like you and I and and the listeners. You know, we we want that historic accuracy, and we want to be able to feel like we were at the event. And of course, we can't don't have time machines or anything like that, so we can't go back and watch that original game. There's no footage, like you said, or photographs. But this is the next best thing when you have uh, somebody that's passionate about the project, a group of people passionate about the project, and they're doing it right and are uh, trying to make everything historically accurate and make people feel like they are at that actual event. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about it, you've got to be able to, when you do a project look like this, you've got to be able to make sure that it has the right look. So they shot the uh, docudrama on a red Komodo camera, which they shot it in 6K. And for those that... Um, don't quite understand the acronyms. Um, a 6K is basically 6,000 of resolution lines because K meaning a thousand. So you have to be able to have the type of look that's going to reflect the 1920s. And all that is involved in being able to, to do that. And so they were able to get the type of looks. You have to be very aware of a color palette when when you shoot a film, if it reflects the time period. You have to be very aware of the tone. You've got to be aware of the production design, the set design. All of that matters. And Alan and his team did a wonderful job being able to recreate. And when you see the documentary, hopefully you'll be transported back to 1920s. Yeah, that type of feel. So well, that that is something definitely look forward to. So uh, you were saying something. There's going to be some release dates coming up, and uh, are you able to share some of those with us? And maybe where where folks can be able to see this movie at? Yes. So the first premiere of Triangle Park will take place on October 26th. Then there'll be other dates uh, in November in different parts of um, Ohio because there'll be showings in Cleveland, Columbus, uh, and Dayton itself. The Columbus um, showing is already sold out. Uh, You can go to the um, website of trianglepartmovie.com to be able to get tickets, but they're going to have other showings in Columbus because the tickets sold so fast in Columbus and they're selling really fast in Cleveland and Dayton and um, in Miamisburg, Ohio. So people are already excited about seeing this on the big screen. Now, will it be spreading uh, beyond the borders of Ohio at, at some point? Yes, because okay. 
The actual general release date will be November 14th. Um, and there will be theatrical showings in all 32 NFL cities, plus 18 more cities besides that. So you will be able to see it on the big screen in a NFL city near you or other cities. So there'll be 50 cities in all in which they'll be able to see this picture. Also, too, it's going to be available on Amazon Prime and Apple TV on Thanksgiving Day 2023. So nice. you'll be able to access it on streaming um, platforms and those two streaming platforms for sure. Wow. Okay. That is, that is quite an event then you are, this is a lot of things happening very quickly with this, uh, this film and, uh, you know, very appropriate timing on that, uh, you know, during the football season. And as we pay honor to those that sort of started this game so bravely, like you mentioned earlier, and that's a, a really cool project uh, that you're involved with. And we're certainly glad that uh, you folks were able to produce something like this. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. We have some, really good talent that's involved the person that did the main theme song for triangle park is chuck lavelle who was the keyboarder the keyboardist and arranger uh for the rolling stones um mm. he also um helped compose the score so we're really excited about that that we have such talent to be able to have that done we're grateful for the companies that were involved because Making a movie of any sort, whether it be a docudrama or a narrative, does cost money. But Alan was able to get Century 21 involved, Gem Vehicle involved, the Pro Football Hall of Fame got involved, um, the Vince Lombardi Collection and Library was involved, um, the film Dayton uh, itself was involved. And so he was able to get companies involved to be able to um, have a lot of support behind this this wonderful documentary that i think people will really enjoy yeah wow that is uh that is definitely pretty cool you know so dayton ohio you know the the first football game uh, professional football game of the nfl apfa is played there uh, besides being the home of the wright brothers and <laughs> the wright brothers museum which is another cool Thing that's in that city so very interesting absolutely the game itself um that took place on october 3rd 1920 there were it made such news that the dayton daily news in the front page of the sports section had six of the dayton triangles players pictures right in front and where it was prominently placed was just above the article on the world series at that time, because the Cleveland Indians and the Brooklyn Dodgers were playing in the 1920 World Series, and yet this took precedent on that sports page um, uh, in Dayton, on the Dayton Daily News. Hmm, wow. So maybe they were almost sort of thumbing their nose at the, the scandal that happened uh, a few years earlier. Right. A year earlier, I guess, right? That would have been 1919 World Series was the Black Sox, right? Right. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So it was a year, year in advance. Wow. And part of this story also, if people who really understand about that time, whether it be baseball, boxing, football, there was a lot of gambling that went on. There were a lot of scandals 
that happened in and around sports. And I know that, for example, I read that the Columbus Panhandles, they were basically a road football team because Joe Carr, who was the future NFL commissioner, he wanted to save expenses. And most of the Columbus Panhandles uh, players worked on the railroads. So they would ride the railroads for free. And that way, Joe Carr could save on expenses. And they basically were a road team. They played one game home in Columbus, but that was one of the reasons why they traveled to Dayton for that very first first football game. And there was a lot of rumors at that particular time because the day before the Ohio State Buckeyes had played, they beat Westland 55 to nothing. And so there were rumors that some Ohio State players from that game were being signed on to play for the Columbus Panhandles of that first Sunday uh, of the NFL where there was a league game. And we knew that the there were postgraduate Ohio State players that played for the Columbus Pan- Panhandles, but there was also rumors that were undergraduates that were playing. Now, we don't know whether Joe Carr was aware of this or not, because there's nothing that indicates whether he was or was not. But I know that when Joe Carr became president, he was vehemently opposed to having uh, undergraduate football players being played in the NFL. So that's kind of an interesting twist that, that basically the suspicion was there that there were some undergraduates that played in this game, although we don't know if Joe Carr was was aware of it or not. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely cool. And it's something I just came across, you know, doing some research uh, from from one of my projects is I was looking in uh, Greg Fasseri's book on Gridiron Legacy, and he's got uh, he talks a lot about the Canton Bulldogs and Maslin Tigers of 1905-1906 era, and on that roster, and I believe it's on the Maslin roster for 1905 or 1906, is uh, a couple of the Nessers that ended up starring Ted Nesser and I forget one of the other Nessers was on there too that were on the panhandles you know that's 14 years later that you know they're play, still playing pro ball and they probably weren't you know spring chicks when they played in 1906 either I'm sure <laughs> exactly you know I know that um the Dayton Herald from the day after the game was played it was such a big deal that it was part of the sublines that it was the largest crowd that Dayton had ever seen. There were there's different reports whether four thousand or five thousand people actually showed up for that first game. Most accounts say five thousand. Each um, fan paid a dollar seventy five per ticket to watch that football game. Um, <laughs> I I recently paid three hundred dollars for a ticket and I'm in the nosebleed seats for an NFL game. <laughs> Gee, and you had to pass popcorn down and uh, cold drinks down to somebody too, didn't you? <laughs> exactly. They, wow. Each player got got fifty dollars for that game, um, which was pretty good back in nineteen twenty. You know, and um, the first player to ag- actually score a touchdown for the Dayton Triangles was Lou Partlow, and Lou Partlow was interesting because he was a tough guy. And they didn't have tackling dummies back then. So what did Lou do? He would go into the forest and would ram his body against trees. 
<laughs> That's how he toughened himself up. That's what he would do. He would ram his body against trees over and over again. And he was he was a tough runner. He really was for the Dayton Triangles. And they, they absolutely loved him. Um, Francis Bacon scored the second touchdown uh, during that game. And um, again, the Dayton Triangles just they had fans who just fell in love with them because of that very first football game. And um, Dayton at the time was owned by Carl Stork, who was also a future NFL president. And so um, I'm hoping that Triangle Park will be able to tell this story because there's a lot of different aspects to this that people will really like. And um, I don't think anybody will be disappointed once they see it. Well, I don't think we are going to be either because anything connected with football, we know is going to be a great thing when it's actual based on actual football history and, and telling an actual story and uh, done as uh, thoughtfully as this one has been done with so much talent in it. And uh, you know, all the way around the actors and you know, the, the film producers and yourself and historians and everybody else involved in and the, the guests that are going to be commentating, which are players and coaches in the NFL currently, or at least in the modern era, that is just some, some really cool things and some great organizations uh, teaming up with uh, you folks to do that. So Scott, we really appreciate you coming on here and sharing this. And uh, we all look forward to sit watching Triangle Park here in the next few months. Thank you, Darren. I hope you all enjoy. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.